Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties. Like our intro said, we're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week, we'll have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of which, we want to be sure you are all current on the awesome speakers we have coming up and other exciting opportunities. So if you want to be in the know, make sure you're on our email list. If you'd like to be added, simply swing by our website, boothbesties.com, and shoot us a message with your email. And lastly, if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, you need to do that too. Quick bit of housekeeping in order to stay on topic and get as many of your questions answered as we can. We're actually going to keep the hand raising turned off. But the chat will remain open, and this week I'll be monitoring that. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, A.B. All right. Robert is an actor, voice talent, and lawyer. He's produced 35 films and television projects and acted in several, including Bathtub Chronicles and Within and Without, where he won several Best Actor Awards, and the films won hundreds of festival awards. He is currently involved on the production side for Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Robert is also the author of the book Voiceover Legal, which hit number one on the Amazon bestseller list for entertainment law books. He successfully represented Bev Standing in her lawsuit against TikTok in the U.S. Federal Court, Southern District of New York, and has been at the forefront of AI issues as it pertains to voiceover and entertainment. Besides owning his own law firm, he owns a full-fledged production company called Belair Productions, LLC, and a marketing company called Belair Creative, LLC. Over to you, JT. Hi, Rob. Hi. How you doing? Great. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, all jokes aside, this could possibly be the shortest interview ever, as <laughs> any questions people have could be answered by getting your book. <laughs> I, I do have a copy, so... Um, Excellent. <laughs> thank you for joining us, and I guess we'll just call it a night. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> buy the book. <laughs> End of interview. <laughs> uh, there's lots of little questions between the lines of the book, so... <laughs> That's true. That's true. So I guess let's just start with um, probably some of the questions you hear the most. Um, it's something I've been looking into, and I probably should have done it a long time ago because I've been doing this for oh, over 15 years. Is it necessary for a voiceover artist to incorporate or become an LLC straight out of the gate? And if not, at what point in your career should you consider it? Okay. So... That depends on if the voiceover artist wants to be a business or a hobby. That, okay. That's the end of that question. So if, if uh, the intention is to be a business, then if they want to make money at this, then they should form some type of structure. So I would recommend an LLC because an LLC shields a person's liability, their personal liability. So um, they sign contracts under the LLC name. They do business under the LLC name. They get paid under the LLC name. So they're not personally going to get sued if anything happens. Plus, they, there's tax advantages once they start to make 
some some money in the business. Um, and I, I, I explain it this way. So when I have a client that comes in to my office and they say, okay, I'm, I want to start, start a pizzeria. Um, I don't say to them, well, let's see how many pies you sell before we set up your structure. So you'll see that advice, on, you know, when you go on some of the uh, the the, the um, social media sites, like, what should I set up my LLC or my voiceover business? And people will say, well, you see, if you get some work first before you set up the business, and that's backwards. So you should set up the business when you when the person's ready to go. They they know they're gonna start. They want to get their demos done. They want to start taking classes. They want to buy equipment. That's when they should set up their business, that their structure at that point. In my opinion. <laughs> so I have completely dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's if someone wants to do this as a hobby and they're not sure, then then maybe not. But, um, you know, if someone just coming into this intended to make money, then they should. I mean, because basically when you start doing business and you don't have a structure, you're a sole proprietor mm-hmm. by default. So you're, you're a business. You're a sole proprietor. <laughs> so... You're as a sole proprietor, you're just out there on your own doing business. And the reason why they have LLCs and corporations is to shield yourself from liability. That's the reason they exist. So you should take advantage of them. Any anybody going into business should take advantage of those legal things that are set up by um, the United States of America and you know, each state to uh, to protect themselves. That's what that's what they're there for. So. so, Robert, just on, on that, do you want me to call you Robert or Rob? Either one's fine. Oh, okay. But not Bobby. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I've been um, called everything, so. <laughs> you know what? Me too. It's <laughs> hey, so could you um, just briefly um, maybe touch on the fact that you mentioned it, but kind of explain every state is different, um, like in their startup, in their startup costs. Um, you know, do you need an attorney to file the paperwork? Can you do it on your own? Um, you know, are we talking hundreds of dollars? Are we talking thousands of dollars to get this set up? Every state is different. Um, they're, they're, they're not major differences between LLCs and corporations for, by, for, by the states. They're minor, minor differences. You know, like how many members can you have? How many shareholders do you have to have? That kind of stuff. But the, you know, for the most part, they're, they're pretty similar. Um, the fees are different. So some places may charge, you know, $50 for you to file. Other places may charge a couple hundred dollars to file. Um, some places are more, some states are more uh, friendly to certain businesses like Delaware for banking. That's why a lot of banks form in Delaware because the, the regulations are um, much better, <laughs> much more favorable for, for bankers there. Um, you can file it yourself. Um Directly with the Secretary of State, um, or some people go to one of those services, and when you go to one of those services, you know, like LegalZoom or something like that, you're hiring an attorney to do it. So um, they're going to do it for you. If my, the, what I advise clients is if they understand what LLCs do and they understand all the terms, because there are some clients like filmmakers, for instance, that create a lot of LLCs. They do them all the time, like for each project. So they understand what a member versus a managing member is. They understand what a perpetual LLC is. 
they understand um, what the operating agreement does. They 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 understand what an LLC is, and so they they have no problem. They can do it themselves. If you don't understand those things, then you should hire somebody to explain yeah, it I, to you and to and to do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I actually so I've had two LLCs. I've already started and sold two businesses, and um. One of them was in Oklahoma, and I literally just found a small business. I mean, that was what this um, firm focused on was small businesses because obviously I wasn't, like, huge at the time. And, yeah, I mean, it was a matter of hundreds, maybe three or 400. I can't remember, but they did it all. Start to finish, sent me the paperwork, sign here, and you're in with the state, and you're done. And so I – I liked that, and it didn't make me question. It's kind of like filing your own taxes versus using a CPA. You know, you're exactly. questioning, like, did I do everything right? It's exactly <laughs> so, that's exactly right. File your own taxes versus hiring someone to do it. It's the same thing with LLCs, and it should be in the hundreds. It shouldn't be in the thousands. So you know, it should cost you no more than around five hundred dollars. And you need to find out what they do when they're setting up the LLC because some people just file the paperwork of the state, and that's it. So they don't get your employment ID number from the federal government, you know, from the IRS. They don't do an operating agreement for you. You should get those things should be part of the the package. You should get your federal tax ID and you should get your operating agreement drafted by whoever does the LLC for you. So and then in, in my case, when I got my clients, I also will draft a loan out agreement for them as well um, for the for voiceover artists because. You're setting up a, an LLC, which is, it's a loan out company. So what you're doing is you're loaning out your services, your personal services. That's what you're hiring, that, or that's what people are hiring. So sometimes what happens is, especially in acting, um, they don't want to pay the. They want to pay you as an employee. They don't want to pay your LLC. So a, a loan out agreement is an agreement that will you give to the client so that they'll pay your LLC. And then you're basically saying your LLC is going to be responsible for paying whatever taxes or whatever union um, withholdings are necessary. So that's something else I'd throw in just just to, to, you know, free another, well, not free. It's part of the service. It's not part of the fee. So. Okay. Are there any states that you don't need an LLC? You don't need an LLC anywhere, you because if you if you're not an LLC and you're operating, then you're going to be a sole proprietor. Okay. So that means that you're responsible personally for anything that happens with your business. So you get sick one day and you can't perform your your uh, you can't perform an, uh, your uh, uh, voiceover job, and they have to hire somebody else, and they, they have to pay more. Then you know technically that's a breach of contract. They could they could sue you for that. Um, Anything that any possible liability that could happen, if you're a sole proprietor, you yourself and your any assets that you have or any other income that you have is at risk. Versus an LLC, just the LLC's assets are at risk. So the only thing you you really should run through your LLC is voiceover income, right. so that your other income is not touched. You don't put cars in there. Don't put your house in there. Don't don't put any other assets in the LLC. You could put your equipment in there. That's fine. If, you know, if you want to transfer your or buy your equipment through your LLC, that so that would be the only thing that really is owned by the LLC is your uh, your recording equipment. So and then that's the only thing that's at risk. 
you're, you're, there's nothing else that your personal assets are not at risk. Okay. So, and that, that's 50 states. That's every state. Okay. Every state has LLCs. All right. Um, so speaking of protecting yourself and those contracts, um, is it a good idea to have a contract for every job? Do we need it? Uh, well, these days with um, artificial intelligence, I would at least have some kind of artificial intelligence writer saying that uh, anything that you record and send in is not going to be used to clone your voice. So that's a good good idea to at least have that. Um, I would have any job that you do um, done via email because you can spell out the terms in, in an email. Um, and if there's any anything that anything that's going to be broadcast, I would put absolutely put it in to a contract to spell usage, usage time. You know, like if it's going to be a year usage, if it's going to be ten year usage, whatever. If and if it's going to be one year with um, an option to renew for another year, you know, you have to put in what uh, you're going to get, what the pay is going to be. You know, normally it would be like plus ten percent. Right. For a, so I would all that I would put in into a, a contract, a, a, an official contract or agreement or memo or whatever you want to call whatever you want to call it. Can it be as simple as having the terms laid out in an email? Would that be considered binding? Yes, but I wouldn't. I, for broadcast, I would go a little further. I would, okay. I would actually put it into a, a an official contract because if it's broadcast and it's going to be airing for more than a year. Then what you have, every state also has what's called the statute of frauds. Okay. And the statute of frauds means if something is, a contract is not in writing that's going to be, uh, occur over a year, more than a year, it's not enforceable. So if the, the contract is intended, let's say that you're, you're doing a broadcast and uh, they say they'll pay you for a year usage and then year two, you know, they're going to pay you plus 10, right? Plus 10%. So if you don't have that in writing, if you try to go to enforce that in court, the court can throw it out because they, they say that uh, there, there was no agreement because of the statute of frauds. So you'd want to put that in writing. Okay, so that kind of covers terms of service. Similar? Well, terms of, terms of service, terms of service or terms and conditions, um, that's usually the, the legalese that you find um, in a either on a website that you're inherently agreeing to, even though you haven't read them normally, uh, right? Or it's on the back of the contract. It's the fine print that's on the back of the contract. That's what they're when people are saying terms of service or terms and conditions. That's what they're talk, talking about. So that that's a that's part of the agreement, but it's normally something that you know it's 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 legalese. So it's stuff that. Uh, you know, you might not read all the time, um, although you should. But you, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, and we all just learned that lesson two weeks ago in a very hard and fast way when Voices.com bought Voices.ai, and suddenly we all saw people pointing out that we had agreed to let them use our voices in any way they wanted forever and ever and ever. Amen. Yeah, but that, that's nothing new. That was, that's been going on for at least seven years. That, that terms of service stuff with yeah. voices. So I guess it just came to light because of they, they, you know, they, they bought voice or they started voices.ai. 
Right. That terms of service stuff, that those terms of service have been around for a, lo- a long time. So now it's, I mean, it's my understanding that since all of this and the, um, the fair terms of service that Nava is putting out there that they've changed their. Yeah. Yep. They put a, their a disclaimer so. in. They put a disclaimer in for AI specifically saying that they won't, they won't use the files that you send in to create a clone, which is, which is great. And so. is that something we should, I mean, really be seriously watching for now in all contracts? So there's no law that covers <laughs> covers that specifically right now, right? So I mean, there are likeness laws, and there are moral rights laws, and you know things that's you know where you you need to get permission to use your voice. But there's there's no laws that specifically talk about how much a, a file that they can use to clone your voice, or if they can clone your voice, or you know any of those things. You know, and right now, from what I'm hearing, you they, they only need like three seconds of a file to uh, be able to clone your, do a clone of your voice. So I would be make sure that I, my own legislator, my own, my own uh, government and putting that stuff in my contracts saying that uh, they can't use any of my files, you know, to, to, for artificial intelligence purposes or cloning your voice or machine learning or any of, any of those things, because it's, it's, completely up in the air right now like that the, the nothing the government's not doing anything about uh i mean they are but it's just you know you know how it is trying to get anything passed so it's uh yeah they're not protecting us really so i would protect yourself because it's an easy way to do it and right in your contract so when we're securing jobs in an online casting site would you suggest that we have our own contracts I would use your own con- any time that you can use your own contract, use it, because the person that hands- sends out the contract is the one that can dictate the terms, right? So I would I've had many many times clients and myself where I send a contract out and it's completely one sided and the clients just sign it they don't read it they just sign it, right? That's what they do to us. They uh-huh. send us their contract and it's completely one sided. It's all on their side. And if you don't change those terms, you're you're at a disadvantage if something happens legally. I mean, contracts, you don't want to have to use them legally, of course. So most of the time, the job is okay, nothing happens, and there's no lawsuit as a result. But the contract is there in case something happens, and you have to go to court. And you don't want to have terms that are completely against you going to court. So that's why it's important to make sure the terms are fair right at the outset because you don't know if that is going to I mean 90% of the time there's nothing's or even more nothing's going to happen and it's fine but that you know that 1% of the time when you're in court and you have a you sign a bad contract then you're you know you're that could ruin your career right there at that one time because that's the time that you have to go to court and that's the time where you you gave away the farm and now you're you know you you're in trouble so every if you can send out your own contract to the clients that's the best way. That's the best way to do it. And I actually, I have a story about that too. I had one, a couple of times where clients wrote me and said, I have this contract. Um, would you review it for me? And 
I started reviewing the contract, and it's the contract that's in my book. <laughs> so <laughs> if clients are using that contract, that's great. That's a victory for us because, though you know, that contract is written more for the bend of the voice actor and not for the, not for the, for the, uh, the producer. So. Sweet. I know another one of the hot topics right now is in perpetuity. Yep. And uh, we're these seeing are, it a are, lot. These are all, these, as a matter of fact, these are, so these are all old topics that have regenerated themselves. Okay. <laughs> Cause I've been talking about this, this stuff for 20 years. Ever since oh, 15 years, ever since I started doing voiceover, I talked about in perp and I talked about not AI, but usage, which goes along with AI. So all these the terms of service, you know, from voices, all that stuff is, it's been around for a long time, but it's just now it's right in our face now because of AI. So that's why a lot of people are paying more attention to it. But in perp, in perp, the terms of service, all this stuff has been around forever it's not it's nothing new it's just now it's it's attached itself to a new topic so i'm sorry so go, I cut you so off. go get so, the book right rob so go get the book <laughs> go get the book yes but i mean what was the question about improv I, I cut you off there sorry oh yeah just you know we're seeing it so much and a lot of people are just ignoring it right to get the as job they have, as they have for 20 years and that's one of those terms I'm talking about. Okay, 98% of the time, you're going to do the job, they're going to use it, and they're going to, you know, after a couple, six months, they're not going to use your work anymore. They don't, they're going to do something new, right? Because no one uses your work forever. Nobody. Right. <laughs> so you shouldn't agree to that. But the one time... Someone decides, I'm going to use this commercial for 20 years or 30 years, right? And you have to go to court now to try to undo it. You sign an imperp. So, you're, you know, you're, that's where the, the terms are against you. And that can ruin you. That can ruin your business. But that's what I was talking about before. All these things tie together. But, you, I mean, you have to agree to imperpetuity very selectively. So, only certain jobs. And... The reason why imperpetuity gets put into the contracts, in my experience over all the years, is because the clients don't know what they're going to do with the spot. Or the producers are asking you to sign an agreement saying imperp to protect their client. And they haven't really thought about, or they don't even know what the client's going to use the, the spot for. They have an idea, but they don't know. So they're trying to reserve their rights. And that's how they do it, by saying, just... We'll buy you out forever. Well, sure. And it's Improve. easier than coming back to us and saying, um, oh, by the way, we now want to add this to uh, broadcast. And uh, can we pay you for that? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So you, if you, what, what you need to do is, to, as a voice artist, talk to the client. And this is how you say it. This is what you say. I know you're not going to use this forever because we're not all going to live forever. So <laughs> what? how are you going to use this? How long? And let's work out a price. That's how you approach it. Just like that. Because they're, they're, you know, forever is forever. It's infinite years. It's a million years. It's two million years. We're going to be long gone before that right dies. And they're not going to use 
they're not going to use it forever. It's, in, it's it's almost really impossible for them to use a file forever because right. it's, they, they, how many times has the medium changed over our lifetimes? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to date myself, but, you know, like eight tracks, cassettes, <laughs> records, yeah, CDs, I'm with you. digital. You know what I'm saying? Like, all uh-huh. the, every time that those things change, they change medium. So... You're going to get, if you're going to, all the reel-to-reels that were recorded way back when, they're not turning them into digital and using them now. Well, no, they're all degraded. <laughs> ex- exactly. So why, you know, like the, the, the reality is it's not going to be used forever. So don't agree for to forever because that's, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous when, you, when I put it in these terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why am I agreeing to something that's never going to happen? Well, and I think the other concern with that too is that, you may be boxing yourself out of a a contract for something else where they want exclusivity. And you did this thing five years ago for, you know, a, a serial and now you've got a new contract coming up, but you signed it in perpetuity. And right. so you, right. now you can't do that other, God, you can't do it. Well, those are, those are the consequences, right? Yeah. So that, you know, that's if you, if you're, if you voiced it, if, if you were silly enough to voice a Coca-Cola spot, give them imperp. That's it for drink, soft drinks. You're, you're done. <laughs> no more, no more for the rest of your life, forever. Imperp. Well, so, so can you go ahead and then speak about the difference? So we talked about imperpetuity, but then buyout. Is it just literally money? Okay, so I'm glad you asked this question because this is another this is this is another very this is another confusion that I hear every day. People put imperp and, and buyout together, but those two things are completely different. Buyout when when someone says I'm going to buy you out, they're talking about for a period of time. Okay? The period of time could be forever. But most of the time a buyout would be like buyouts even happen in union jobs. They could buy you out for six months. They could buy you out for a year. They could buy you out for the 13 weeks for the normal commercial run. All that means is they're paying you up front. They're paying you the money up front instead of waiting for you to see every place that it airs and send you a residual. That's all that means. They're buying you out for a period of time. So buyout is a good thing. I like buyouts. I'd rather get the money up front than wait. You know, get a weekly check, right? Or our 13-week check. Whatever it is, I'd rather them, if they're going to buy it out for a year, buy it out for a year and give me money up front. If they're going to buy you in perpetuity, then they're just giving you a check for forever. There's no going back. You know, you if you get bought out in perpetuity, they bought out forever and ever and ever for, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, their life and everybody else's life that ever hits planet Earth. <laughs> You've been if you bought out in perpetuity. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so buyouts are fine. So like if someone says, I'm going to, we're going to uh, do this job. We want you to, uh, you know, we're going to, um, uh, we want it to run for a year and we'll pay, uh, you know, $5,000. We're going to buy you out for the year. That's fine. You know, that that's, they bought you out for the one, uh, the year period. Then after that, it would be good if the contract said if they wanted to buy out for a second year, it's ten plus ten plus ten percent, or you know some kind of bump. That'd be a good 
good thing to put in the contract. And but, like perpetuity, though, with the buyout, that does mean if you're with a particular company or, you know, a product, that that is the exclusivity plays back into it. Correct. That's yeah. the whole okay. point of getting the buyout. Yep. Right. So if you're if you're they're buying you out for a year, then you're figuring out the price to make them exclusive for that that year for that product. Right. So if it was something it depends on the product. You know, like if it's uh, some obscure product that you're probably not going to get hired again on, then you know it could you could charge a little less for for your buyout for the year. You know, versus something like banking or financial, we're going to buy you out for a year and you can't do any financial for the rest of the year. All right, then you're going to set your your buyout price to match that category, so you're you're going to ask for more. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. JT, what else you got? So I've I've had people ask. What are the legal ramifications if we inadvertently break an exclusivity agreement? If there's a crossover between two product markets? Yep. So I hope you have your LLC set up in that case. <laughs> because the, 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 the whoever you've broken your ex- exclusivity with, it's usually not the company that hired you first. So in, for instance, if Coca-Cola hired you, they are usually not the ones that, that care it's usually the other company that wants you not to the second place. So like Pepsi, Pepsi, not Pepsi now wants to hire you. And they're going to usually the ones that would ask if you have another contract with another soft drink maker and you say, no, I don't have any. And then they hear you got a Coke commercial. It's usually that second company is the one that has the issue with it. So they could sue you for that because you've, you've breached that agreement saying you don't have any other soft drink commercials running right so if coke says they want you to be exclusive and you sign another contract with somebody else then coke would be able to sue you too the first client so you you, it, it could be liability on both sides but either one the one who's hired you exclusively or the one that's trying to hire you if you you could you could breach on either side of it so you know, you just have to. You just have to know what your terms. You have to. This is this is one of the reasons why the union pays residuals and keeps track, and you know has thirteen week periods for um, commercials for the exclusivity issue. So when you're doing it non-union, you just have to make sure you keep track of those things, so you don't. Uh, if somebody asks you, or you do you have this spot or this spot running, this type of spot, you be able to be able to answer because you know, right? And the other thing that you want to try to do as non-union is keep the exclusivity clause as narrow as possible, right? For instance, I'm using the Coke Pepsi example. You're voicing for Coke; they want you to be exclusive voice. I would try to limit that to colas. Not soft drinks, or not any type of drink, right? Try to limit the exclusivity to a very specific niche so that you won't be able to do Pepsi because you're doing other colas. But if, uh, you know, like um, a water company came or a Gatorade came or something like that, you'd be able to do that spot because it's only for, for colas. That's your, that's your exclusive category. Wow. So you really need to, well, I mean, one... It'd be talking with someone like you, but it, you know, really educating yourself, certainly for non-union folks. And yeah, that's like, 
some nuanced detail that I bet a lot of people would not have thought about until you brought that up. Yeah, I mean that's what agents do. That's that's how they that's how they try to um, negotiate your contracts. So that that's uh, if you're acting as your own agent, that's those are all the things you have to think about because that's what agents your agents are doing for you. Your lawyers are doing those things for you. You know those anyone you're on your team, though that's part of their job. So when you're non-union, you know you're creating your team, but you may be your own team as well. So you have to make sure that you're protecting yourself. Excellent. That is the perfect segue to the second half of our hour. AB? All right. We would love to thank today's sponsor, Dan Friedman at sound for vo professional coaching for voice and sound. Dan offers transformational coaching with undeniable results. And we're excited to share that Dan's new book, Sin and the Art of VoiceOver, is now available on BookBaby. If you have questions or are interested in coaching with Dan, reach out by email to Dan at sound4vo.com. You'll find the link to Sound for VO and email in the chat. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get the answers to their questions from the pros who know. Tonight, that pro is Rob Siglimpaglia. Very good. I <laughs> try really hard to say it right, and so they spelled it out for me, and I still couldn't say it right. No, you Rob said it right. Sig- Siglin Paglia. There you go. Yes. Voiceover artist and he for tonight attorney who specializes in entertainment law. So, JT, back to you. All right. Um, NJ, do we have any questions from the chat? We do. Let me touch on those really quickly. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, please talk about the ABC AB5 legislation and how it's impacting the publishing and entertainment industries. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> uh, I am. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, so this is, it's a nationwide thing. Um, California is the one that started really getting strict on going after people that should be hired as employees and are that are being paid as independent contractors because of the Uber drivers. So they passed AB5. Oh, okay. I know what we're talking about. Yeah. ABC has been around forever. It's a test that the federal government put out, um, IRS, to, to determine whether or not somebody should be considered an employee versus an independent contractor. So... I mean, I, I, I do workers' comp as well, so I, I deal with this issue all the time. When someone gets hurt on the job, if uh, if they're an employee, they would be covered under uh, comp for the company that hired them. But a lot of times, they may be general contractors or subcontractors, and so they try to be, become an employee. <laughs> try to say they were an employee when they got hurt. Okay. So it, it all really what it comes down to the test, the ABC test is control. How much control does the the hiring party have over the the party they're paying? Okay. So that's that's in a nutshell. Um, okay. So what what California did was they tried to put everybody. <laughs> if you're not an employee, if you're just getting paid, you're an employee. Basically, is what the what they said. Then they. I know they revised AB5 a couple of times and they they, they put uh, different exceptions in about who's not considered 
you know, so they, uh, you know, like copywriters, I think is one of the exceptions in there. Fine artists, that's that's an exception. That if you're a fine artist, then you you know you could be paid as an independent contractor, and you don't have to be paid as an employee. But what's a fine artist? Is that is that uh, an actor? Is it a voiceover artist? Is, right. Uh, you know so that that hasn't been tested yet, but it, okay. in, it for voiceovers, voiceover is is one of those areas where you're not really under anyone's control. So if someone hires you to do a job. The only thing they're really controlling is maybe they're coming on and giving you some direction online, but they're not saying like what time you have to do it and what time you, where you have to go and punch in, punch out. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's voiceover artists. I would say fall under that fine artist exception. (laughs) Um, But that's AB five and that's ABC. Um, All right. So you just have to, that's why it's important. That's why I talked about the loan out agreement. Get a loan out, sign a loan out agreement with between your LLC and yourself. Sign it. Like, that's what I, I do this automatically when I set up an LLC for a, a, a voiceover artist like, or an actor. I create a loan out agreement for them because then they can now give that to who is ever hiring them. And if they have an LLC and they have that loan out agreement, who's ever hiring them is going to be that's shielding them as well from the, from, the state of California and the government from saying that they're they should be paying the person, the voiceover artist, as an employee versus an independent contractor. They're paying their LLC. Okay, and that's what the loan out agreement does. So, all right, all right. Well, let's keep going here. Um, Jane had to bug out, but she wants to know: Can you does the pri- putting a privacy policy or terms of service on your website yep. does that does that hold any validity? Anything like again in the court of law, or does it need to be in a contract? Nope. Putting on your on your website's fine, Great. and really you only need that is if if you're going to be um, collecting personal information from oh okay from people. So like if you're going to collect people's email addresses or phone numbers or financial data, then you have to have some kind of privacy policy, and you have to protect. You have to have something to protect that information from people, from hackers, from people to you know steal it. I so. gotcha. Okay, um, can you just quickly explain? This is fundamental, but we want to reach everyone. What an NDA is, and then why it's used, and the the do not sure. <laughs> when you sign one. Yeah, NDA is um, non disclosure agreement. That's what it stands for. So basically, what it means is you can't say anything at all about the fact that you were hired, you got an audition, the product, nothing. You can't say anything. So don't even say on on social media, I got this great audition today and I'll tell you more about it later. You've already violated your, your NDA. Non-disclosure. Don't say anything. It stays in confidence. Um, the I would say I've seen some very onerous NDAs. In fact, I had one about 10 years ago, personally, that I went in for an audition and I walked out. I wouldn't sign the NDA because it said that if you breached it, you had to pay a million dollars. I'm not lying to you. A million dollars. I wow. said, I'm not signing this. Well, if you don't sign that, you can't audition. See you later. I left. There's no way that I'm going to, not that I'm going to violate it. Right. But I don't, I don't want to have to go to court to defend myself saying I didn't violate an NDA and have to have a million dollars at risk. That's right. insane. So you have to look, you have to really read the terms and see, you know, see what the penalties are. See if there's liquidated damages, penalties in there. 
if you breach. Okay. So, how is important? How important is it that when we let's say, for example, we choose to post something on social media, whether it is the um, and and completed spot that aired or anything about the audition process or the client, how important is it to get permission from the client to post that stuff? All right. So there's two ways to look at this. There's the legal way. So if you signed, if you signed any NDAs or if you're under confidentiality, you can't post anything, right? That's the, that's the legal way. So you have to get permission in order to post. And then there's the business way. So is my client going to be get upset with me potentially if I post their work without talking to them? Right? So mm-hmm. it's probably better practice to get permission to post anything or use it on your demo. And that is in my contract. That's in my book. There's a paragraph in there that says uh, Get the book. Client, client gives permission clients Client gives permission to use this for demo purposes or, you know, for promotional purposes. Right. So, but it's, I would get permission most of the time. Anyway. Yeah. And it's also a good way to keep in touch with your client to make sure that, you know, if they don't have, if they have any work lying around at that moment, they can give it to you. So it's, it's a good way. Yeah. For those um, listening, I have never had a client say no. Um, but I also ask, even right. when I most recently um, booked a job with a um, mobile phone company, I still was like, hey, can I tell everybody you're my new client? And they're like, sure, no problem. And they yeah. even commented, you know, so, so I most do think, time. yes, yeah, I, I have, again, it's in, in how you look at it, some companies see it as cross promotion. So they're right. usually not going to say no, but I, it's, but again, yes. I always ask. So let me give you a couple of of exceptions to that. So I've yeah. had one client say no. Disney told him, said no. Okay. So Disney is very strict on which one, which jobs they want to put out there and which they don't. Pharmaceutical companies are probably going to say no. So don't let's just assume that they're, you know, if companies are going to give you permission. That's why you ask. But pharmaceutical companies are they're usually dealing with uh, trying to get FDA approvals and you know there's all kinds of regulations that they and banks too. Same thing. They have regulations. So yeah. just you have to make sure that and that's the reason why they, they would say no, is if they think that something's gonna happen with the, the regulations. Um you know, they they don't wanna have the government coming after them for sure. So and then you don't wanna have that issue either. <laughs> you don't wanna have to defend yourself and have them sending you cease and desists and yep. all those bad things. So I don't want to scare anybody, but there are certain times where the client may say no. So, and so just make it a, a minority of the time. It's yeah. A minority. Just make it part of your practice to ask. Exactly. That's it. Right. Um, okay. So we have a quick scenario for you. Um, Alicia. Ha- let me see if I, I want to make sure I read this right. We had a conversation because one of her agents told her she should get a percentage of the payment for work booked through a manager. My understanding with my agents is they only get a percent of work I book through them. Managers, with the exception of one who I'm aware of, will get a percentage of everything, as does the union if you're a member. Does that make... Alicia, do you want to talk to that? Because I think I'm not saying it well. 
So you're talking about a double commission, a manager commission and yes. a commission? Yes. So, yeah, if you hire a manager, then and if the manager's legit, because like in California, there's their managers are highly regulated and they're not allowed to procure employment for you, so they're not allowed to collect a commission. But in other states, that's not true, especially in New York. So you would you would you would pay a manager and an agent both a commission if they you had them both under contract. Um, so it really just it's really a job by job thing. You know, it's it's there's no blanket answer to that question. It depends on who brought you the job. It depends on who negotiated it for you. You know, it depends on who has their hand in, in there. In, in the job, and if it's an, if you sign an exclusive agreement with your with your manager and your or your agent and or your agent, then yes, you owe them a percentage of everything you book, even if it's your own booking that they didn't touch. If you sign an exclusive agreement with them, that's what that means that they're taking a percentage of everything. So, if you have a manager in California. Yes. They're not supposed to be able to take ten percent of everything you book. If you manager, well, it depends on if they have registered properly. But manager, the difference between in California, the difference between managers and agents are agents uh-huh. are allowed to procure employment for you. Managers are not allowed to procure employment for you. They're only allowed to manage your affairs. That's what they do. So they would oversee what your agent is doing. But they can't get you a job. So if the manager is trying to say that they are owed a commission on a particular job in California, that is not that's illegal. If they're saying they owe or a percentage over over you know all your jobs because they're overseeing your career and, and your agents and taking care of everything, that's that's what a manager does. That's their job. And but the, some like in New York, managers and agents they use that term interchangeably. Like managers will send you out on auditions and give you auditions and mm-hmm. they're procuring employment. Right? So in California they're not supposed to do that. Like that that's what the Kikorian Act <laughs> went in, uh, that's what it was passed for, to, to stop managers procuring employment, sending auditions to to actors and voice artists. Interesting. So if I'm a manager in California, I need to have a full staff of agents who yeah, can no, get right. work for my clients. That's normally what managers do. They will they'll they will partner with an agency and then when you go in to do your audition, you'll be putting the agency's name down. And that's normally that's normally how they do it so that it's legal. Okay. Interesting. Those little loopholes. Yes. There's lots of them. <laughs> it's designed to protect actors. Like that's what it's there for. Because the manager can just say they're not licensed. Managers are they're just it's just anybody. They're not attorneys. They could be, but they don't have they could just be a person that puts a shingle up on their wall and say, I'm a manager. Uh, I'll I'll make you a star. Give me fifty percent <laughs> of your, your your earnings. You know, that's that they're trying to stop that stuff. That's what the the law is there in California. You know, because people go out to California. How many t- more more people go out to California than come across the border these days? I think you know, right? <laughs> to try to be a star, so they're, they're trying to protect the uh, the the people that are going out there. You know, and with stars in their eyes. So, so it really sounds like the voice actor. Sorry, chime in, Alicia here. 
the voice actor themselves really needs to be as educated as possible because like in the case we were discussing, my agent is in California, but the manager that I was talking to was in somewhere in the middle of the country. And the manager was Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, yeah. And so the agent in California was saying, no, I get a percentage of everything you book with that manager and they shouldn't be even getting you work and it's unethical what they're doing. And they had a very different perspective than the manager who's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Because they're in two separate areas of the country. Yeah. Uh, And I was kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, the agent in California is saying how it is out there. That's how it is out there. And the manager is talking about how it is probably is in Minnesota. Yeah, so. so we really have to know and, and, and understand ourselves so that we can properly negotiate and make sure that we're being represented fairly. Yeah, I mean, you really have to read the, your contract. What does the contract say with both of those people? You know, is, are, is it exclusive? Is it not exclusive? Is it if they um, negotiate on your behalf? Or is it you just pay whatever you for whatever jobs that you uh, book? So you need to read those terms. That's an, Wait, yeah, we're that's supposed to actually thing. read our contracts? Yeah, that would be a good thing. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I know. I'm kidding. All right. We've just got a couple more questions for you. This has been so insightful. And yes, we're going to go get the book. JT's already got it, but we'll all go do that <laughs> for you. So hopefully you'll see a, a big, nice. a big uptick in <laughs> sales. But Okay, so... Another question we were asked, can we use clips from jobs we've done as samples for online casting? Uh, same thing. Just ask the client. Make sure it's okay uh, with okay. them. Or put, or put in your contract saying that you are gonna you can use the, their gigs for promotional purposes. And have to sign up, you know, when they sign the contract, then it, uh, it you already have permission right there. So, okay. Um, and the general rule is, you know, if, if it's already broadcast, you know, if it's already been out, put out by the client, you know, so if it's, say it's a radio or TV commercial and they've already put it out, they've already broadcast it, then you can, you can put it up on your, wherever you want, social media, website. But if it's not, if it's internal, you know, say, say you're doing a, an e-learning job for, I've done e-learning jobs for the government, you know, for like the FBI and stuff like that. I'm not going to put those up on my like social media or you know using samples because it could have sensitive stuff so that's why it's important to talk to the client because you want to make sure that you're not you don't want to breach their confidentiality even if you didn't sign an nda you don't want to make your client regret hiring you yeah so good customer service always um so we've got a question um union versus non-union so uh andrea she is a SAG talent, or SAG, she is a SAG member, mm-hmm. but how does it work to do non-union voiceover work? Mm-hmm. When I mean, is it just, it's one of the, it's black and white, if you're a union, you're only doing union jobs, or how do you get, how do you... So, number, number one, union, union has certain things that they cover under their contracts, so it has to be a union jurisdiction job. Right, so for instance, promo that's not covered by the union contract. Well, I think it is now, but it used it didn't used to be. So you could do all the promo work you wanted to, union or non-union, because it wasn't covered under any contract. Cable is still not covered under any union contract because they thought you know unions 
the AFTRA back in the day said that cable, no one's going to pay for TV. So they didn't bother them doing a contract to cover cable. So you can be the voice of any of those TV shows that you want to be. And the union can't do anything about that because they have no jurisdiction. It's not part of their contract. So that's number one. You have to know what kind of job that it is. It has to have fall under a union agreement, right? And I'm talking about strictly legal because I know that when you join the union, you agree with the union that you're not going to do anything else off the card outside. So I'm not saying the union can't go after you. I'm just saying that, well, and even if it's out of jurisdiction, they can't even go after you because it's not part of their, it's not part of their jurisdiction. Um, the other thing you can do is just convert it. Just hire, hire a payroll, you know, hire a Falcon paymaster and they'll, uh, they'll collect the money. They'll be, you'll be hiring the, the, your client will hire Falcon paymaster and they'll do all the paperwork though. So they're a signatory and then they'll collect, they'll send in your health and pension and they'll even probably, they'll negotiate with the client even sometimes I think to try to get them to up it so that they'll cover the 17% or whatever it is. So you can convert jobs over from uh, non-union, uh, non-union to union as well. Um, so. Since you do, you've done both, does it, I'm going to, hopefully I'm going to ask this the right way. If I am a SAG talent, the rules apply across the board, whether I'm getting hired for on-camera work or voiceover. Is that correct? correct? Okay. That's correct. Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, and then, let's see. What would be the question? Um, right to work states. We'll, we'll wrap it up with that. So yep. Alicia and I both work live reside in right to work states now where we get a little confused is if i for example got a um i'm non-union but i get a union job that comes to me yep it has to come from someone in my state for me to be able to do it or is it just because i live here and if california or oregon or oklahoma sent me a union job i could do it you could do it. So right oh, to work. Okay. There's 25 states in the country that are right to work. Half of our country is right to work. And what that means is there was a Supreme Court case that said nobody could force you to join a union to get work. All right. So that also applies to the acting world. So if you if there's a film or something that's shooting in your state and you audition for it and it's union, then they, they would give you a Taft-Hartley. And you can get as many Taft Hartley waivers as you want to, and you don't have to join because you're in a you're in a right to work state. You never have to join. So you know, other if it's a was a a union state like New York or California, and you got a Taft Hartley because you did worked a, a union job as a non union actor, then you could after thirty days you can get as many do as many non union jobs or union jobs as a non union status within those thirty day within that 30 day period. But after that, if you got offered another union job, you'd have to have to join, be a must join at that point. So you don't have to worry about that at right to work. You can get as many Taft Hartleys and do as many union jobs and they'll just keep giving you Taft Hartleys and you never have to, you never have to join. That's interesting. I didn't know that the Taft Hartley covered you for everything for 30 days. I thought it was a job by job. Taft, when you, so if you're a Mm non-union and you break through, so you get an animation gig and they, they give you a Taft Hartley right so you could keep working under that Taft Hartley for 30 days 
Huh. Once the 30 days expires, then you're a must-join. So if you, they hire you again after 30 days or you get another job as a union job, you have to you have to join, you know, pay the initiation fee and join. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up there because we've already made it to the top of the hour. Um, thank you again for being here with us. I think it's safe to say we all learned a lot, myself included. But Excellent. before we let you go, we like to ask all of our guests three for fun questions, James Lipton style. Okay. All right. So our first question for you is, what singer, band, or composer are you most enjoying right now? Uh, that's a good question. Right now, I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying Josh Groban. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, uh, Yay! How's that going, <laughs> so, by the way? The Sweeney Todd is an amazing, anybody that can go see that, go see it. It's an amazing rendition of Sweeney Todd. And uh, Josh Groban, just a, he's an amazing singer. So number one right now okay um not all of our guests listen to podcasts but if you do what has been on your top list lately uh for podcasts mm-hmm. um let me think here i'm not, i can't forget the i forget the name of it but it's a uh, it's a podcast about uh financial financial markets Stock market. I forget the name of it. It sounds riveting. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I sit there and I, uh, you know, I really study the economy, <laughs> and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm a little scared about where the economy is going right now. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I follow the stock market. I follow, I follow those things. And there's a podcast that I listen to, and I can't remember the name of it <laughs> to save my life. But that. That's the one that I listen to on a regular basis. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I don't listen to fun stuff either. It's all like industry stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't listen to. <laughs> I don't listen to fun podcasts. I, I, I don't even read fiction books. I read all nonfiction stuff. Me so. too. Yay, geeks unite! <laughs> <laughs> all right, and lastly, what is your favorite dessert? Rice pudding. Wow. Without hesitation. Rice pudding. Yep. All right. Cinnamon or no cinnamon? Cinnamon. (laughs) Oh, excellent. And then a a close second would be cannolis. Very similar. Yeah, similar. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Thanks, Rob, for joining us. This was really awesome. Um, Thanks to all of you in the audience for joining us as well. We want to remind everyone that VO Booth Bestie is live two days a week. We invite you to join us on Monday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific, and our VO 101 series is on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. AB? And coming up in that Thursday 101 series, continuing on the topic of getting social with your business, we have a panel of TikTok creators lined up for you guys. And then next Monday, the 22nd, Tina Morasco is going to join us to talk about in-show narration and a plethora of other things. So, all right. Uh, meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join BOP Besties Facebook group. Um, Rob, where can everybody find your book, please? So you can find it at um, well Amazon or you can go to voiceoverlegal.com to find the book. All right. Excellent. 
Replays are available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com, on YouTube podcasts or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Be sure to share your comments, like, and subscribe. And we're done. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. night. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.